Welcome to the Torah Journey Podcast. My name is Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and I've been a community rabbi for over 15 years. During that time, I've learned that the wisdom of Judaism is powerful, but it's not always easy to understand. Our weekly podcast will enrich your journey and give you practical advice about how to apply the wisdom of Judaism to your life. We'll offer you insights based on the Parsha, current events, the Jewish year, and more. This is the Torah Journey Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it's here, the month of Elul, that time that we know something big is coming around the corner. Now, that feeling of something big is coming can be alarming, but in this episode, I'd like to share a reflection with you that I believe will empower us this Elul as we seek the next steps in our own personal Jewish journey. You know, sometimes something can happen in our world, and on the surface, it feels like It doesn't have any relevance to us. And yet, there it is. Once, many years ago, I was living in Israel, and a woman showed up to my door. This was 30 minutes before Rosh Hashanah. And she was in need of 20 shekels to take a cab home. And on the one hand, it just felt so random. I mean, what has it got to do with me? And yet, it also felt perfectly planned. There she was on my doorstep moments before Rosh Hashanah, in need of something that I could offer her. I gave her the 20 shekels. According to the Torah, things that fall into our lap land there for a reason. Now, the Torah is concerned with building a society where mishpat tzedek, righteous justice, spreads throughout the land. And that's actually a focus of some of the parshiot that we read during the month of Elul. At the end of Parshat Shoftim, The Torah describes a scenario where a human corpse is found outside the settled area, and it's unknown who has murdered this person, so there's a lack of evidence. Now, what should we do in this situation? Should we seek out more evidence? Perhaps. But the Torah actually leads us to a religious ceremony. The elders do something which seems to be of zero practical value. They measure the distance of the corpse to the surrounding towns. They go to the closest town, and they find the elders of that town, and then they go through an elaborate tshuva ceremony, finally axing the neck of the heifer, and upon doing so, they make a declaration. As the Torah says, all the elders of that city who are closest to the corpse shall wash their hands over the heifer that was axed in the valley. Va'anu va'amru yadenu lo shafchu et hazdam lo ra'u. They shall speak up and they shall say, our hands have not spilled this blood, and our eyes did not see. Kaper la'amcha Yisrael, atone Hashem for your people Israel. And so, instead of commanding us, at least in this moment, to seek more evidence, the Torah teaches us that the elders, the, the shoftim, the judges, seemingly need to establish that they themselves are not guilty if they can establish that they did not know about this matter and they were not negligent, then they can wash their hands, so to speak, of the blood. It's really a a striking scene. I tried to imagine if there was a murder here in Oregon and all the Supreme Court justices got in their black robes. I mean, can you imagine them going out to the place of murder and washing their hands in a repentance process? But here in the Torah these judges really are commanded to absolve themselves of guilt, to establish their innocence. 
as if that was in question. Is there some actual guilt that they need to wash themselves of? Now, also striking is the measurement, because we're so focused here on the distance of the corpse to the closest city. They would measure and try to see, is the body 50 yards closer to this town or to that town? Well, who exactly cares, or who cares exactly which town the body is closest to? The truth is, there's really a couple of things happening here. On the surface, the elders are coming out to declare that under the circumstances, there is no known guilt. And so the representatives of justice wash their hands, so to speak, of the blood guilt. But on a deeper level, an idea that is emanating from this Parsha is an underlying assumption of accountability. If a person was killed, there is human accountability, an atrocity has taken place, so we must look closely to whom is the body closest, who could be accountable. Now, true in the end, we don't know who committed the murder, but the elders and the judges need to come out and wash their hands. The starting point of the Torah is that when an event shows up on your doorstep, we share in the accountability of that scene. It was closest to us, and it's a sign from above that it is connected to us. Alas, we did not know who did it, and in the end we are clean, and so we daven that Hashem will atone for us. And so, on the surface, the ritual is an explanation of why the elders of this town do not own the guilt. But between the lines, there's an underlying presumption of responsibility. At the very least, the elders of the closest city must establish that they have done their part to establish a society that is built on tzedek and mishpat righteousness and justice. And Rashi really pushes this point, because the Torah says, Our hands didn't spill the blood. And Rashi remarks, Would you really think that the elders of the court were people that are, are sp- spilling blood? Rather, they declared, we didn't see this individual pass through our town and let them go without escort and without food. In other words, the people responsible for teaching Torah are declaring that in their town, they do chesed. They help passers-by. If there's not sufficient chesed in the town, then the community allows people to be isolated. And if we tolerate isolation, we are but one step closer to an unjust society. By establishing that they have taught their community to do chesed, the elders have removed one level of guilt. And the fact that they need to absolve themselves indicates that starting point of accountability. We find a corpse in the ground. Something terrible has happened. We don't know. But we look to the closest group of people. And within that group of people, we look to those who are most accountable. On a simple level, they declare that they do not know who murdered who. But on a deeper level, they affirm that they are doing their part to squelch blood guilt from the land. It's as if they declare, we know that this is a great and terrible event. We were not negligent, and we have and we will continue to do our part to stop murder. Given this commitment, O Hashem, please atone for us. Now, the Jewish people were commanded to establish a society of mishpat and tzedek, justice and righteousness. 
the father of the Jewish people, Avraham, commanded his children in the ways of Mishpat and Tzedek. But justice is not limited to a punishment system. Creating a just society means creating a society built on chesed kindness. Indeed, Avram was the ultimate accountable person. If the neighboring Sodom were sinners and were liable to destruction, Avram felt accountable to speak on their behalf. He didn't view it as someone else's problem. And likewise, when a difficult matter comes before us, we need to see that we are connected to it. I remember several years ago, there was a destitute individual who died in his apartment in Portland, and he was, he was found in his apartment several days after his passing. The, the family contacted the shoal, and we performed an indigent burial. And I still remember that dreary November day as we buried this individual whom we did not know. And I, I looked around, and I saw a whole million, more than a million of people, helping to bring this man to an honorable burial. It just struck me how much people in our community were willing to say, no, if there's a person that's died in our midst, we will not ignore it. We will take the time out of our workday. We'll schlep 30 minutes to the cemetery and a funeral and back. And this is taking responsibility for what happens in our midst. And so we go into Elul with a sense of seeking atonement, a sense of responsibility for the world around us. But if we're responsible for our world, how much more so are we responsible for our own lives? And that message is at the heart of this month of Elul. The Gemara of Odazara records the story of Rabbi Elazar ben Dordia, who was basically a sex addict. He sought out every prostitute in the world, and towards the end of his life, one such harlot mocked him, calling him out for the loser that he made himself into. And this was his rock-bottom moment. The Gemara recounts that he went and he sat between two great mountains and he wept. Yet, as the Gemara goes on to say, sitting between two mountain ranges was a symbolic act of passing the buck, looking to these larger forces in his life to blame his problems on. He asked the mountains to seek mercy for him. And they replied that before we seek mercy for you, we must seek mercy for ourselves, as the prophet Yeshayahu says, that eventually the mountains will falter. And then he turned to the heaven and the earth, and he asked them, heaven and earth, seek mercy on my behalf. And they responded, before we do that, we better seek mercy for ourselves. As it says, the heavens and the earth will meet their end. And so he turned towards the sun and the moon, and finally towards the heavenly constellations. And each time that he sought others to seek mercy on his behalf, they responded that they could only take care of themselves. After all, each one of these forces would have their own problems to contend with, their own day of reckoning. Why was Elazar ben Dordia talking to the mountains and the heavens and the stars? He hit a rock bottom with his addiction, and he realized how much he had wasted his entire life. And yet, as he began the teshuva repentance process, his starting point was that he was not accountable. It was the greater forces of the world. It was the mountain ranges he was born under. It was his parents, his upbringing the constellations he was born under. Each time that he tried to pass accountability, the response was, sorry, we're only accountable for ourselves. If you want mercy, you better go out and seek it. And his, his turning point, and he does do complete tshuva, for which he is said to have received a portion of the world to come, 
But his turning point is when he accepts responsibility for his own life, declaring, Ain hadaver talui elabi. The matter depends only upon me. That was such an important moment of taking responsibility for his own life. And this really is an idea that we can focus on during Elul. As Hillel said, Im ain anili mili. If I will not be for myself, who will be for me? Now, in the ancient world, people believed that man was but a small pawn in the face of a much larger and greater force or forces in the world. People tend to believe that we humans are consigned to a fate and that we're victims. And one of the important things about Judaism, with with its belief in a great God, is also belief in great humans. Judaism does not accept victimhood. We are accountable, and we make our own destiny happen. And that's why this month of Elul is so empowering. It's a month where we get empowered, empower ourselves to forge our own spiritual destiny and the path ahead. There's really so much that we can do during this month that will help set us on a good course. Now, firstly, I simply want to recommend that you take the time to consider what your spiritual goals are. Go for a walk during Elul. Take the time to think and write down a couple of ideas about where you want to be in the next year. Where do you want to be? What do you want your Shabbos to look like? Or how about your learning? You can own your Elul and your coming year if you define your goals and then consider what are some of the small, like two or three practical steps that you can take to get closer to achieving your goals. If you want to learn more Torah each day, what does that look like? Is there an online shiur that you can commit to? And finally, I want to add that this is also a a time, a month, that we should focus on our interpersonal relationships. What an area of growth human relationships presents to us. We need to take more responsibility and ownership when it comes to our relationships. In fact, the renowned marriage therapist, Dr. John Gottman, writes that if you look at a marriage, one of the markers of a troubled relationship is defensiveness. Defensiveness is passing the buck, saying that I'm not responsible. I know I can be guilty of this. It could be, for example, my my wife might point out that I could have been more present or at home more, and my natural tendency may be to defend it. But what we really can do is we really can take ownership. You know what? You're right. I could have spent more time at home. I could have done this or that differently. I could take ownership of different things. It's so natural for us to defend or to believe that we are not responsible. And so this Elul, we need to get empowered. We have to take ownership of our relationships and the world around us. Most of all, remember Take ownership of your life. The matter depends only upon you. Thank you for joining us for the Torah Journey podcast. We'll be back next week, so make sure to check us out. This podcast can be found in all podcast outlets. Make sure to download, comment, and share it with your friends as they too grow in their Torah journey.